welcome to episode 31 of Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world. I'm Paul Carr from True Media, and our guest this week works for a pro team that doesn't have any players or even a head coach yet, having just announced the team name, logo, and colors last month. From the newly named NHL franchise, the Seattle Kraken, our guest is Namita Nandakumar, senior quantitative analyst for the Kraken. Before joining Seattle in March, Tamita was with the Philadelphia Eagles for two years, and I'm not saying she's the reason they finally won the Super Bowl, but she did join the team about a month before they won the title. In our conversation, Namita and I will talk about the excitement around the Seattle Kraken franchise, building a hockey team and an analytics team from scratch, the state of hockey data in the NHL and beyond, what she's looking forward to about player tracking data, differences in working in football and hockey, differences between doing public analytics and working for a team, her public work on drafting perfectly in the NHL and the effect of player size, her pitch for using the programming language R, advice for aspiring sports analysts, the importance of staying up on the public analytics space, and getting more women and underrepresented communities into sports analytics. Then True Media's Andy Cox will join me to react and wrap things up. Now, without further ado, here's the expected value conversation with the Seattle Kraken's Namita Nandakumar. We're joined now on Expected Value by Namita Nandakumar, Senior Quantitative Analyst for the Seattle Kraken. How much fun is that to say? Namita, let's start right there. What have these last couple weeks been like for you and your coworkers since the team announced its nickname, colors? Uh, obviously, lots of great press. Everyone loves it. What have these weeks been like for you? Uh, it's been amazing. As you said, it's super fun to say, so I'm just going to say it again. Seattle Kraken, absolutely yeah. love the name. Um, I will admit that um, it was revealed to me at the same time that it was revealed to the public, so it was a ah. nice surprise, and, and I didn't, I wasn't keeping secrets from anyone, so no one be mad at me. But no, it was a really great experience. I think, you know, it is kind of interesting because in my mind, you know, I've been working for the team since March. Like, right. I've always been working for this team that has felt very real to me in the sense of like looking forward to our goals of like drafting our first roster and and all of that but I think the name has made it feel real to a lot of other people including our fans which is really cool to see and you know I love the branding Um, I have some merch on the way so I can't wait to finally put it on and yeah it's been really cool and I I think you know hats off to the the business side of our team the marketing branding departments because they really came through with some awesome everything and like it's one of those things you know I work in hockey ops I had nothing to do with it Uh, but I'm super glad that we have a cool name cool look logo cool everything yeah i love it i mean not that my opinion matters much but no it's great just to have the creativity (laughs) of it all it's not a a boring name the colors are are fun uh, and it's great to see everybody embrace it too so let's uh let's dive into what you do for the seattle kraken senior quantitative analyst Uh, you're hired earlier this year what do you do for seattle broadly speaking obviously you're not playing games yet you're a year and a half or so away so what do you do for the kraken yeah, I mean, it, it's a really interesting question, uh, certainly because I, I came from a, a team, the Eagles and the NFL, that has a really sort of defined season where depending on the time of year, you might be working on like game prep or like draft prep or whatever the case may be. And and coming to this brand new team where we have to build everything from the ground up is is certainly really interesting. And, and I wasn't even sure what to expect. Certainly one of the things that I'm even starting to prepare right away is Uh, you know, amateur player evaluation, uh, because I think uh, there's a lot of focus on the expansion draft next summer. And that's certainly super fun, super exciting. Uh, But what people talk about less is that we're also going to be drafting our first, you know, amateur players in in that draft as well. So two drafts to prepare for. So that's always been, you know, one of my specialties. So I've been uh, prepping for that. And then certainly uh, evaluating pro players, getting ready for the expansion draft. Um, I think what I would say about that is that, you know, we're, we're so far ahead at this point in terms of so many things are going to change, contract situations, trades, et cetera, to where, you know, we're not getting super tied down to specific like players or situations, but just trying to make sure that, you know, no one slips through the cracks, we're evaluating everyone we can, and that we're getting into the habit of, I think, understanding all of the factors that go into mm. picking a great expansion team. So it sounds like 
and I think this is a good thing, you're kind of laying that foundation of how you're going to do your jobs basically as you really get into the nitty gritty. So maybe now it's more about process kind of than it is about getting to those details. Is that a fair way to say? Yeah, for sure. And I think this is where, you know, I definitely want to shout out my boss, Alex, my coworkers, Mm -hmm. Danny, Eric, and John, because um, I think building out such a robust, uh, certainly at least for the NHL, building out such a robust uh, R&D group right off the bat really lets us, you know, build those processes effectively from the get-go. I think especially like once we start playing games and and all that, there's going to be just a ton of work. And sometimes when you're in that situation, it feels like you're just trying to like keep up with the flow of work. But I think being able to start sort of this early um, and define all of these processes well in advance of actually sort of playing games, as I said, you know, I think that'll be really helpful uh, and will really set us up well for success. You don't even have a head coach yet. I think Alex was hired before the Ron Francis, your general manager, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. How does all that work? I mean, how does it, the fact that you have this analytic staff before the coaching staff for the most part, how does that affect how everything kind of comes together as a franchise and that, that ops side? I would say that, you know, people, if, if they like analytics, they might like the idea that we're just out here making every important decision. That's not <laughs> necessarily how it goes down. But what I will say is that it, it gives us a chance, I think, to build up systems for people who are not just us. So that includes, you know, mm-hmm. the executives, uh, scouts, future coaches, and, and making sure they have access to important information uh, whenever they need it, you know. I mean, analytics kind of runs the gamut from stuff like really important, like player evaluation decisions and and things like that, but also just to making sure that like when someone wants to look up a player's contract situation, they can do that as easily as possible. And, you know, we have all that information available to them. So I think just some of the nitty gritty kind of less fancy stuff as well, you know, we're going to be setting up our whole department to, again, have all the information they need and make very well-researched decisions. So I think that is definitely, again, going to set us up well for success. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of teams, hockey and otherwise, are, are kind of jealous of just the ability you have to to lay that groundwork. How typical is, would you say, Seattle's analytics setup is? You mentioned you have, I think you mentioned five people total. It seems like that's larger than most NHL teams would have. So how would you say your setup is relative to what an NHL team generally has? Yeah, I, I do think it's a, it's a little larger uh, than maybe average, um, you know, not to an insane degree, because I think right. the NHL has definitely progressed to a place where most teams are expected to have at least one or two people on board, where I think it maybe helps and is a little different is that because we have, as you said, you know, five full time people right now, um, that helps us to be able to specialize a little bit. We have uh, myself and, and Danny who are the analysts. And so that our role is is mostly focused on model building and model evaluation and generating reports based on that, stuff like that. You know, we also have John, our data engineer, to help us with the back end, just pulling that information and having it be readily available to us. And then we also have Eric on the front end who can take stuff like whatever we generate and make it look very beautiful and accessible to everyone. So that whole pipeline, I think having different people working on different aspects of it and, and really having that expertise is a a huge benefit of having, you know, a larger than average amount of people already, because certainly like if I was the only person in a department for an NHL team, like I could, you know, I could make some databases that wouldn't be amazing. And I could make Mm -hmm. some shiny apps that wouldn't be amazing, but they would get the job done. But because we have the, the amount of people to really sort of make that pipeline much better than let's say what any one of us could do on our own, I think is, is really great. And what kind of input are you getting? I'll just say kind of from the hockey side, because I know a lot of times you do all the data analysis, you pull it all in and you kind of want some direction maybe from a coaching staff front office, whatever. Is that there yet? Is that something that just kind of building as the franchise continues to build? How does that working for you? uh, Just getting that extra input. So you have the direction maybe that the whole front office or the coaching staff would be going. I think, you know, you know, we're still building that up. There's a lot of sort of 
more ground level basic models that we just got to get up and running and, and that takes yeah. time. Um, what I will say is, you know, everyone else on, on the hockey ops side has been, I think, super welcoming and super willing to have conversations with us about, you know, what they think about players and, and what they're looking for and, and what they think would be interesting, which is great. I think, you know, the worst thing that can happen is if your team effectively gets siloed off um, from other areas and you're not really sure about that. But I think so far it's, it's been the opposite experience for us and, nice. and we've already had a lot of really great conversations with everyone else. A couple questions about kind of the state of data in, in hockey. What is the state of data in the NHL? You know, we've seen every league in every sport kind of grow almost exponentially in the last five years or so, as especially player tracking in hockey's cases, puck tracking data has gotten bigger and better. So what's kind of the state of data as far as what you have available to you as an analyst in the NHL at the, the highest level? Um, so, I mean, you're kind of alluding to the, the tracking, which I guess I'll get to, but for now, I mean, we've had, you know, play by play shift level data, um, from the NHL, at least since about 2008. What I really want to credit, uh, with that is the fact that that data is available to everyone, including the public. Mm -hmm. So that was something that was nice to have experience working with that actually before I even got to the Kraken. Um, so in, in some ways, like, you know, contrasting that with football, which was my other sport, like as a public analyst, you can know who's on the ice at any moment. As a football analyst in the public, you don't necessarily get to know who's on the field at any moment. Yeah. Um, so there are some ways in which it is actually, I think, better than some people might expect. Uh, certainly the, the big thing that we're looking forward to is tracking data, um, which I think hopefully the plan still holds to have the next sort of regular season, full season be our first full season of tracking data. You know, I'm not sure how and if any specifics of that have changed, but that was just sort of what was generally, I think, planned on. And that will definitely be really interesting for us. But I think, again, relating it back to my experience in football, you know, you're not going to see returns from that right away. Right? right. So after we get that data, it's going to take a ton of time for us to kind of sift through it, try to generate models that are, you know, of value. Uh, and even, you know, a few years into the future, that's really when we're going to have enough data to even be able to validate some of the things uh, that we're trying to build. So that'll definitely be a process, but I'm excited for that process to start. Uh, I think that'll be really cool um, and, and hopefully advance hockey analytics in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think NFL's had NGS since 2015, 2016. And, and as you know, teams are still trying to kind of figure out what to do with it, have those comparison sets, things like that. Is there anything you're kind of looking forward to with the player puck tracking data? I mean, at least from a higher level, like, ooh, I'm going to get to dive into this sort of thing, something like that? Uh, maybe I think in a broad sense, you know, one of the things that is always tricky about player evaluation is really isolating individual contribution, right? So mm -hmm. figuring out to what extent are these results that are happening on the ice with this player, to what extent is that his fault or to his credit or, or vice versa. And I think that the tracking can help with some of that. So I, I'm definitely excited for it to sort of add detail to our understanding of essentially like who's doing what, who's creating value more so than just kind of the, the broader views that we get at this point. What do you have data wise kind of from a amateur perspective, whether it's, you know, junior hockey up in Canada, whether it's college in the U S so what's available for you guys to look at, to analyze from that amateur perspective? I think what I, I would say about that is depending on the league, it, it really, really varies. And then, mm -hmm. so the, the challenge there is, you know, when you have prospects in a bunch of different leagues, how are you going to compare someone who, you know, I, I can say pretty definitively, you know, we'll probably have access to better information on the Canadian Hockey League than some of these sort of international junior leagues, for example. Right. And so you have prospects who are the same age, maybe the same caliber playing in, in both of those situations. And then it's like, how do you compare that given the sort of differences in information? And and, and that's an open question. So hopefully I figure it out before uh, next June or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got less than a year. So good luck with that. Uh, you sort of made your name, I think, in the hockey circles with the research on 
what you call drafting perfectly in the NHL. I know you spent a ton of time and have done long presentations on this, but can you kind of sum up what was your approach to that and what your big takeaways were? Sure. So I think it was an interesting project because it kind of evolved a lot. I think at first when I was working on it in school, I, I did envision more of a component of like evaluating prospects themselves and, and seeing which teams were identifying the good ones based on like my assessments. But then as it kind of grew, it there was more of a focus on just saying, okay, like, given that a team has this set of picks, like how well are they drafting like conditional on that, which Mm -hmm. felt like something that when we talk about draft success, that aspect of it felt like it, it was lacking to some degree. And then also, you know, if you have this, view of draft success that is more agnostic of of the opportunity that teams have to select good players, then you can kind of see, are there teams that are consistently sort of exceeding or falling below that expectation? And and I think, you know, the initial finding was that there's a lot of randomness in the draft. And I think it will shock no one that I I still somewhat stand by that. Um, But yeah, so, so that was a, I think a good exercise as to like my first my first foray into sports analytics. I think looking back on it, you know, there were a lot of assumptions in there that I think are easy to make as like a public analyst, but then, mm. you know, when you're trying to advocate for certain decisions from a team, you got to really interrogate every single piece of it. Um, certainly like I can say, for example, in that project, because I felt like, in hockey, it, it didn't really need to take position into account because, you know, position is sort of less important to draft for when your prospects are only going to be potentially playing for you two, three, four years down the road. But then going into football, I mean, position is, is super, super important yeah. in the drafts so of right away. That's like a huge thing where like, you know, just sitting on the sidelines, you can kind of be like, oh, you know, it doesn't really matter. Ignore this consideration. But then as soon as you're working for a team, you're like, oh, wait, I have to like really make sure that this is sound evidence and advice. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And I think maybe it gets lost sometimes that the differences in doing public analysis versus for the purposes of a team. What else have you maybe picked up on whether working with the Eagles or the Kraken that, you know, you can do this thing one way when you're just, you know, writing a a paper or a post and you have to approach it differently when you need to uh, do something for a team and their purposes. You know, one of the big things I would say is that the focuses on the the types of and the calibers of the players can be very different. So one thing that I've noticed on football Twitter is every day you log on and you argue about which quarterback is the best. <laughs> and <laughs> yes. like, you know, people people find that fun and interesting and, and maybe it is, but but when you're working for a team, either quarterback analysis matters a ton because you're trying to find a new one or more likely you have the one that you have and then you're trying to optimize other facets of your team and it's not Mm. that you're saying oh quarterbacks aren't important we're not going to look at them it's just saying like realistically like you can't trade in uh, a quarterback for a slightly better one just because you feel like it right like normally you're just operating under the constraint of like you have who you have so then you start to care about like players and, and positions that are are different from let's say the the best and and most important ones because again you're trying to find that the marginal benefit along the edges and and there's kind of a, a similar situation with the expansion draft just because I think if you think of some of the best players in the NHL they're not going to be available to us so we have to kind of have a more broad based view of like who's really undervalued and who do we think has potential mm-hmm. that they maybe have not seen yet yeah, it's kind of a general moneyball philosophy of sorts. So you've done, you also done research on the effects of player size on performance, which I think is interesting because we have these stereotypes and some generalities, you know, taller NBA players, stronger NFL players, soccer players are fit, et cetera. Um, what did you take away from your research into the effects of player size on performance? I think, you know, and this is where uh, I I did it publicly. So I think if I were to make a stronger recommendation within um, our team, I would probably go revisit that and like interrogate a few more things. But in general, I I do think that size 
can continue to be, I think, de-emphasized a little bit in hockey. And mm-hmm. and actually, what's interesting is that we've already seen that to some degree. So another thing I shared publicly, I think, last year was the fact that compared to a decade ago, uh, prospects who were drafted were at least like an inch shorter and like maybe 15 or so pounds mm-hmm. lighter. Uh, I'm estimating the numbers from my recollection sure. of a tweet from several months ago. So don't hold me to those. There's, uh, there's something there, though. Right, right. So so that was interesting because, you know, I, I think with sometimes with, with stuff like this, you know, you, you have that finding and you, you say like, oh, like teams are so stupid for not knowing this. But in some cases, like the trends are already taking place. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and certainly I think with smaller hockey players in the NHL, you can start to see that to some degree in, in more recent years. So we've, we've referenced your Eagles time several times here already. You worked as the quantitative analyst with the Eagles for a couple of years before joining the Kraken. Obviously, football and hockey are very different sports, whether it's the start-stop nature of football, more fluid in hockey. From an analytic standpoint, what are the challenges of moving between these two very different sports? Yeah, I think uh, I, I referenced this earlier as well, but the draft in some ways, you know, it, it was both a, a benefit and a challenge. So I will say, like, before... I started working in football, like I I was doing public hockey research, which we've already talked about to some degree. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the big thing was the draft. And and that was kind of where I think, you know, my former boss, Alec, thought that even though I I would have to build up my football knowledge more, like, to be clear, I I knew the rules of football. I was an Eagles fan. I hadn't necessarily immersed myself in it the way that I have in hockey. And and I was very upfront about that, right? So, you know, but he thought that some of the draft work was interesting and and had interesting implications for the NFL. And then I could build out kind of my knowledge of, of the other stuff, which is basically what happened. And so the first stuff I did was about the draft. But then, you know, as I alluded to, there was still some very obvious changes that I had to make right off the bat in my perspective of the draft. So right away, having to prioritize position a lot more. And then also along with that, you know, part of the reason position is a lot more important to consider in the NFL draft is because they tend to play right away. So that was Mm -hmm. huge because, you know, evaluating what someone is going to be two, three, four years in the future, like you're trying to do in the NHL is a lot different than saying like, what is this guy going to do on the field for us in August and September? Right. So right away, that was a lot different. Also in general, I think you see more NFL players, even in later rounds, getting playing time at all from the draft than, than in hockey. And, you know, you also do expect uh, some late round picks to just be able to contribute because you got to fill out a roster versus in hockey, you know, you can, I think, maybe swing for the fences a little bit more because you're not necessarily worried about filling out a, a 53 or 90 man roster, depending on where you are in the season. So yeah, there were, there were a lot of, I think, pretty fundamental differences. But then aside from that, you know, a lot of things that were pretty similar about how to think about the draft, how to think about value over expectation and, and all these things that really um, helped me kind of initially get started in football. And then I just had to learn a lot about the rest of it, especially in-game stuff, as you alluded to. Another very different piece because hockey is so free-flowing versus everything is incredibly discreet in football, but also there's there's so much contextual information, right? right? Like, and, and you can't just say, oh, throw it all in a model. It's like, what do we account for? What do we not account for? What do we attribute to individual players? What do we attribute to like team level success or failure? I mean, the amount of context and, and how to account for that is just... a huge conversation that you have every day, I feel like. But yeah, I think it's been really interesting to work in both. And um, I think there are still times where I I can relate, you know, football to hockey and hockey to football. And I think in general, like analysts for teams should definitely never restrict themselves to just reading the research of the sport that they work in. Like there's a lot to be learned from even like baseball, basketball, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I would say like soccer is one of the things that I know the best kind of from the data analytics standpoint. And while I'm not a huge hockey fan, I enjoy being on the very fringes of hockey, Twitter, hockey analytics, Twitter, just because there's some similarities, you know, whether it's discussing expected goals models or how this factors in different things. And I think that's helpful to me just to keep my mind open on things like that and new approaches that different sports and people will think of. Is there anything Maybe you learn, you talked about how knowing one sport helps in the others. Anything specific 
example you might have, but Hey, I did this with the Eagles, this in football. And then I was able to take this over to the hockey side and do something with it. I mean, I, I think the biggest application is yet to come and it's going to be the tracking data. So mm-hmm. being able to work with the NFL tracking data for the last couple of years, I think, you know, will be hugely helpful um, in when I have to work with the NHL version. Uh, obviously there's still going to be some differences. I think, sure. you know, the, the discrete plays in the NFL does help a lot from a tracking perspective because you can kind of shave off a lot of stuff uh, that does not happen, you know, within the confines of when the play was going on. So in that case, it makes big data a little bit smaller. So I do think just like in terms of like numbers, like the, the data is going to be bigger on the hockey side. Um, but even just getting in the habit of writing efficient code for working with tracking data, I think yeah. will be helpful yeah yeah but things of just having done it before with the eagles for a couple of years how did you see nfl was the analytics kind of evolve or maybe a better way of a team accepting things the eagles are one of the more prominent i think at least from a public standpoint analytics teams how did you see that change in a couple of years the way teams used accepted worked with numbers and such Sure. I think, yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, the Eagles have kind of always been on the forefront of it. So I don't think that, you know, within the team, there was some big shift just because even when I got there, they were already pretty Mm -hmm. excited about it, pretty accepting of it. Um, Certainly other teams have made a bunch of hires in recent years. And I think uh, you do have to give some credit, uh, certainly to Mike Lopez, the Mm -hmm. analytics director at the the league office, um, who created things like the big data bowl that allowed, um, so, you know, every year having public analysts working with the tracking data, showcasing interesting insights for the last couple of years, you know, that allows teams, uh, who might not be so analytically interested from the get go to kind of see like, okay, this could be valuable to us. And, and a lot of those folks have gotten hired, which I think is great. So one of the things, again, from the fringes of hockey analytics, Twitter and such that you are a big proponent of is R, the programming language R. <laughs> and I know you've been waiting for this question. So I am agnostic here. I you know, don't program in either language, you know, SQLs as far as, as I'm willing to mess with at this point. So I know R versus Python is kind of a kind of a fun debate, it seems like, uh, from what I can gather. I guess just give me your pitch. So if I want to learn a programming language, what are the advantages to you of going with R instead of Python or whatever else it might be. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I love any opportunity to give the pitch. And I, I also think that, um, you know, I, I never want people to characterize me as someone who thinks like definitely use R, don't use Python. Like I would never say that. Right. Um, frankly, like I use I use Python from time to time uh, because it, it is very good for certain applications. But the thing that I would say, especially with, with sports analytics and public sports analytics, a lot of the people who are getting interested in it um, are getting interested in the idea of like coding and and building models for the very first time. And I think that R is really well suited to beginners. Um, And that's really my main pitch is that if you have never coded in your life before, there's a lot of ways that R really tries to make it relatively less painful to code. Whereas if you are pretty familiar already with coding and you've done it in other languages, then Python is probably going to feel more similar to what you've already experienced in those languages. And then that might be the better fit for you. But I think, you know, R seems to be very good for beginners. Like at least that's the pretty consistent feedback that I've seen. Obviously, if there's some peer reviewed study out there, (laughs) I would love to read it. (laughs) Um, And the other thing I'd say is that, you know, R was built for statistical programming. So it it does really try to make the sort of basic elements of like my job, again, as easy as painless and painless as possible. And then like, you know, if if you want to argue that like there are other contexts, like, I don't know, building websites or something that like Python is better for, I'd be like, okay, sure, but I don't do that. So um, that's where I think just like for the purposes that I use it, and also from the perspective of someone who learned R as like their first language, and then also dabbled in Python a little bit and kind of compared them, I think that, you know, it's just really, really great for beginners, really great for statistically focused people. And also new features get built out every day. That's the great part about open source. So there's a lot of stuff you can do in R now that you couldn't do in R two or three years ago. Um, so it just continues to grow. Nice. Yeah. It seems from my perspective, 
that, like you said, it's easier to get into from the beginning and there's just more stuff, scrapers and such that you can pull into R a little more easily if you're trying to, to pull from public uh, stuff, something like that. Yeah. I mean, public, public analysts have definitely leveraged R quite a bit, which I think is, ends up being kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like if that's what you see in terms of what people have made available, then you might be more incentivized to use R. So um, yeah, uh, although certainly there's a lot of uh, scrapers in, in Python as well, but I just think, again, it's like, if you're really interested in, in things like building models and other statistical stuff, and, and also I think just for the purpose of, of things like data cleaning and data wrangling, mm-hmm. um, R is, has a lot of really great solutions to that, including all of the tidyverse that, um, you know, one of my favorite things is like I helped my mom with something um and showed her the code that i wrote for it and like she could understand like what it was trying to do just because the commands are so intuitive and this is where i have to to say like my mom is not stupid she's a very smart doctor uh but she's never coded so i think it, it is really significant to you know really create commands and pipelines that are are so intuitive that even someone who has never coded can look at that and see like okay i understand what's going on nice I want to talk your career path a little bit. So you went to Penn, uh, studied economics, stats, math, et cetera. I guess, how did you start down the sports path? Where did that curiosity come from? Obviously a big sports fan and such, but how did you decide this is the direction I want to go from more of a professional standpoint? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it almost happened accidentally, I think, for lack mm-hmm. of a better word. So as you mentioned, I've always been a huge sports fan. So I grew up in the Philly area um, where that is like thrust upon you uh, to care about all those teams uh, a lot. Um, I was especially a big uh, Eagles, Phillies and Flyers fan, never really got into okay. basketball as much. And then in high school, I read Moneyball and I thought it was really interesting, but I didn't really envision myself in that role. I think uh, it, one of the big reasons for that certainly was that no one in that book or that movie looks like me at all. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I thought it was cool. And that, that was what kind of even just put it on the map as something that anyone could possibly do as a job. I took, you know, AP stats in uh, high school. I thought, it was pretty interesting. And, and more importantly, I was pretty good at it. So I decided to uh, take more stats classes uh, at Penn and Wharton. And like the first couple years, um, you know, because Wharton is a business school, so it was mostly business applications. And then also I was a research assistant for like uh, marketing applications of statistical modeling, which I still found interesting. Like, I, mm-hmm. I think, you know, a big thing I would say is that like, I love just like the the pure like mechanics of my job. And if it was applied to something else, uh, like non-sports related, I would still love that. But that was really how I sort of learned the process of like research and got some familiarity with R as well. Um, and then when it came to my junior year, you know, I had the opportunity to take to do a year long uh, thesis for the honors program that I was in. And I kind of had the thought of like, okay, I could try to find some like marketing question or whatever. But if, I, I really just came down to the fact like, I'm going to be working on this for a whole year. It might as well be something that I like. And mm-hmm. then my thought was actually like, when I go to apply for like a real job, I'll show them this. And even though it, it's in a completely different topic, they'll see that at least I know how to do modeling or whatever. Right. Uh, okay. That was that was my plan. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I had a great advisor, Shane Jensen, uh, who has done uh, awesome like sports research in the past, uh, including in baseball uh, and hockey. And, you know, he helped guide me. I think the, the project kind of went better than I expected and also was finishing up like sooner than I expected to where I had some interesting things to share like in December of that year rather than in like April or May. And then on a whim, I I just saw, I think I saw on Twitter that like there was a hockey analytics conference in Vancouver in March and they were just looking for submissions. And I was like, well, this is hockey analytics. I don't know what they want, but maybe I'll just like (laughs) submit it and see what happens. Yeah. Take a shot. Uh, And then yeah. And then to my utter shock, they were like, yeah, no, come to Vancouver and present this. And then I realized again, very like fortuitously that the week of the the weekend of the conference was actually like the end of my spring break. 
Um, so I was like, okay, I have no excuse not to do this. So then <laughs> yeah. I, you know, didn't know anyone involved or anything, but I flew over to uh, Vancouver with my slides and the response was incredibly positive. Um, and that's actually, that conference is where I met my now boss, Alex, which is uh, really funny too, because when I sat next to her at the conference, I did not know who she was. <laughs> and then like when she, when she handed me her business card, which had like Minnesota wild on it, because I was just so blown away. I was so impressed. <laughs> So it was like, like I met a real person who like works in the NHL. That's so yeah. cool. But, um, you know, the response was so positive that I, uh, went to more conferences, presented more research, um, you know, conferences, like there was one in, in Ottawa that I went to and then, uh, Nessus, which happens every other year, which is always one of my favorites. And then there was a, a conference at Wharton that was, uh, put on by the sports business group. So at this point I was in the beginning of my senior year. Um, and they asked if I would just share some of the research that I had already been presenting. So I was like, sure, there are no travel costs for this because it is on campus. So I might as well just go show up yep. and present the work. And before my presentation, I saw a panel of people working in the industry. And that panel included my former boss, Alec. And it was one of those things where, you know, I feel like on panels, especially if you're currently working the job, like you have to be very intentionally vague and you can't yes. say anything like accidentally interesting, but I could tell that like he probably had interesting things to say. So that was where I was kind of like, you know, I just want to get in touch with this guy. Like it's a different sport, but just, you know, I think it might be someone good to to talk to. And, and I was able to get in touch with him through my advisor. And then to my shock, he was like, yeah, like, come in, we'll chat, we'll interview. And, and I was just like, all right, like I was very upfront <laughs> about the fact that I do hockey research, but if you want to do this, I'm not going to say no. Yeah. And like, I remember going into Novacare and I was like, this is probably going to go terribly, but at least I get to see the Eagles practice facility. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but, but it went very well. And I think especially what I was impressed by is like, Everyone at the team that I talked to, including, you know, some of my former fellow analysts and like the cap guys and stuff, like they, they were all just like really interested in my research and like they weren't trying to like trip me up or prove that I didn't know any like they, they were kind of already treating me like a coworker when I had just gone mm -hmm. there for an interview. So I came out of it with a really positive sort of perspective on the place. So then after that, when um, Alec was like, well, do you want to go part time? while you're finishing up school and then we'll see what happens. And I was like, absolutely sure. Thing. Yes. So then I started working for the Eagles in January of 2018 uh, as a part-time intern. Good time to do that. It's significant because the following month, <laughs> the Eagles <laughs> won the Super Bowl. And, and this is where I always have to say, that I never did anything for the Super Bowl. And this is where people, if they like me, will say like, well, the Eagles have never won the Super Bowl without you. And I'm like, well, that is also true. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> These are facts. Yeah. Um, but it, it was really cool to see. And I, I got to see uh, the NFC Championship game, uh, which was like the second ever, I think, football game that I'd seen live. And it was amazing. Like, that's probably one of my favorite, yeah. you know, experiences I've had. But then, you know, after all of that, I just went to work on draft stuff. And mm -hmm. then I did that. And I, to my surprise, like it ended up being at least somewhat useful, I think, uh, during the, the 2018 draft. And then I was fortunate enough to get a, a full-time offer and I was like, yeah, certainly. Um, I think people do sometimes ask me like at that point and at other points, like, did I really want to come back to hockey? And like, what I was realizing, even though I had a lot to learn about football is I really loved working in football. And I think um, to me, it was a lot more important that the, the team and the environment was just very, you know, good and conducive to caring about, you know, my research and, and letting me kind of explore really interesting topics. And it was maybe less important, the specific sport. So that's where, you know, I had two great years at the Eagles. And then um, the the Kraken opportunity, again, was was less about the, the sport itself and more about just like, I think it is so insanely cool to be working yeah. for an expansion team. So yeah, that's what I think. I think you've said this in some articles, or, or maybe Alex said it. It's like, it's almost a once in a lifetime chance to build something from scratch from a team, build a team from scratch. Yeah. Uh, so, so that just seems, yeah, like you said, that's just a really cool thing. And you get to do so much in so many different ways. I think you've talked about it a lot, but that has to be super, super appealing to be able to jump right in and do that. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it was an amazing 
opportunity to think about and to to the point where I was like, all right, I'm ready to leave my hometown. Although uh, because of the pandemic, (laughs) I'm still still in South Jersey working remotely. But, you know, as soon as I can, I'll be out in Seattle. And like that was huge for me because like I grew up in in the Philly area, went to school here, did my first job here. Like I loved living here, but it it, it was such a compelling offer that I was like, wow, like I guess I'm ready to move across the country and, and help build a hockey team. Yeah. So you've mentioned some career advice, just mentioned the sense that, you know, kind of a general statistics understanding can be pretty helpful regardless of which way you're going and stuff. Anything else that you have as a general response when people ask you how to get into the sports analytics field and whatnot? I I think the biggest thing is just that no matter where you are in terms of your sort of, especially like your coding ability or maybe Mm -hmm. understanding of the sport, like if you just do any project, put it out there. You know, that was huge for, for, I I can say at this point, like all the teams I've talked to, like, you know, I'm not going to like downplay my degree. Like it definitely mattered that I went to Wharton and that I did, I studied econ and stats and all of that. But at this point, like any team that I have talked to in the last couple of years, like they cared vastly more about the research that I've done. Mm -hmm. And that was all just, again, it was like me tweeting out the links to it and stuff and like sharing it at conferences. So I think public research is such a great way to get started and and also to circumvent a lot of the traditional, like trying to network or leverage connections and Mm -hmm. and whatever. It's like, I know a lot of people don't have connections to, to sports. I mean, I didn't, but just sharing stuff and and putting the work out there, like people are going to notice because, you know, another thing I'll say about that is a big part of my job is just being aware of all the public sports research out there. Yeah. So, you know, me and Danny, especially as the two analysts, we're always talking about, like, we read an interesting paper the other day, here's a cool article to read, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, I mean, as working privately within a team, like one of the ways that we can show and, and believe that we're providing value is to definitely be aware of what's going on in the public and then see how we can potentially improve it or frame it differently for our purposes or something like that. So that involves being really, really keyed in to what people are sharing online uh, and it, at conferences. So that, in my mind, is absolutely the best way to get noticed. To kind of wrap things up, the main questions, to go back to something you said, you said you're, you know, you watch Moneyball and you don't see people that look like you. You don't see women, you don't see minorities as much. That's a, something that we in the analytics community are, are trying to figure out how to deal with. So I'll ask you, and I know this is not a simple question and we could spend the whole podcast talking about it, but what can we do to get more women, more minorities into the sports analytics world? Sure. I mean, yeah, as you said, it's a very difficult question. Um, I think what I would say is that, you know, we have to be very intentional about it because, you know, sports analytics is the combination of two things that are historically very male dominated and and in many cases, very like white male dominated. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not just going to happen by chance that more women and especially women of color are going to get involved unless you try to be very intentional about it. So, you know, one of the initiatives that I think has been really great is that, uh, my friend Ozma at HockeyGraphs runs the HockeyGraphs mentorship program, uh, which is focused on, you know, getting underrepresented people in sport, in hockey analytics specifically, in touch with, you know, mentors in the field who can help guide them. I think, you know, sports and and every industry is can be so based on connections and on to some level that you know, fostering those for people who don't traditionally have them is is really big and, and helping to guide them, I think, is great. So more initiatives like that, um, I would definitely support. And then, uh, yeah, I just, I think on a personal level, I just try to make sure that, you know, people understand that it is possible to look like me and, and work for a team. And I think, it may not have been possible like 10, 20 years ago, but it's possible now. And so hopefully, you know, we can continue to make progress on that. All right. Good stuff. Let's wrap things up here with our playing favorite segment where we rip through a number of your favorites. So we'll start with your favorite number and why. So my favorite number is probably 34 uh, because that was my favorite Phillies player when I was growing up, Roy Halladay. Uh, rest in peace. Um mm-hmm. So, yeah. So that must be the answer to your, the next question I had. Favorite athlete as a kid, Roy Halladay? 
Yeah, there we go. We've got a two for one answer. You um, got a favorite flyer? How about that? <laughs> um, I, I think I, I started watching uh, the Flyers uh, when they had their cup run in, in 2010. So, you know, guys like Danny Breer, Claude Giroux were definitely some of my favorites. Favorite game, maybe you already answered this in a previous question, but favorite game you've attended in person, be any sport? <laughs> yeah, I think I, I've been answering these really efficiently in other parts of the uh, the podcast. No, um, certainly the NFC Championship game, without question. It was so cool, you know, especially, I mean, normally I sat uh, in the press box for Eagles games, but mm-hmm. that game, I just asked for a ticket. I just wanted to be in the stands nice. and it was an incredible experience. That's pretty cool. So since you uh, raised in the Philly area, went to school in Philly, worked for the Eagles, I have to ask the standard food question of your favorite <laughs> cheesesteak place in Philadelphia. So I'm actually not a huge cheesesteak eater, although I do appreciate a good one. I mm-hmm. think uh, the best one I've had recently um, went to a place called John's Roast Pork uh, in South Philly, uh, which was definitely, definitely really good. They also make roast pork sandwiches, as you might have mm-hmm. guessed, but the, the cheesesteak was great. The bread was great. I mean, it, it's a simple sandwich, so just stuff like having really good bread definitely makes a difference. For sure. And finally, your favorite, how did I get here moment, meaning one of those moments where you just kind of, you're able to take a second, look around and kind of soak in how fortunate you are to have gotten where you've gotten. I mean, there's a lot of those, but I I think something that that struck me was probably, I mean, just seeing Carson Wentz walking around Uh (laughs) as like an intern. I was like, that's Carson Wentz and I'm just me, but we're like in the same cafeteria right now. Um, (laughs) That was, that was really cool. And and then even stuff like, you know, meeting my current GM, Ron Francis, Mm -hmm. and just like the first time I met and, and have like after saying goodbye and being like, well, you know, we're really excited to have you here. And I was just like, why are you excited about me? You're Ron Francis. You're a Hall of Famer. I didn't say that out loud, but that was kind of my internal monologue. So yeah, no, it's been a great experience so far. Nice. Another good story to end with. So Namita Nanda Kumar, Senior Quantitative Analyst for, I'll say it again, the Seattle Kraken. Thanks for joining us here on Expected Value. No problem. Happy to be here. Thanks again to Namita Nandakumar, Senior Quantitative Analyst for the Seattle Kraken, for joining us on the show. You can follow her on Twitter at NNStats and check out our show notes for links to some of the research and work that she has done. Also, check our archives for podcasts with several people Namita mentioned, including the NFL's Director of Football Analytics, Mike Lopez, the winners of this year's NFL Big Data Bowl, Dimitri Gordeev and Philip Singer, and her fellow hockey analyst, Ozma Toomey. I'm joined now by True Media's Andy Cox, a resident hockey expert, among other things. Andy, before we get into conversation too much, what do you think of the Seattle Kraken? Thoughts on the the name, the logo, et cetera? It is fun to say Kraken, not going to lie. No, I I like the logo. I think how they they put a lot of thought into it and have all these little hidden elements. So I thought that was a a good decision they made. Yeah, yeah, it'll be it. Yeah, just say the name. It's just kind of fun to say Kraken. Yeah. yeah, it's got a nice rhythm, flow off the tongue, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about this? So we got an expansion team. They're kind of in a unique spot relative to where we are with analytics and stuff. So what do you kind of think going forward in the next year and a half from this team? Yeah, they, it kind of depends on what you define as the modern era of hockey analytics, but they'll be either the first or second expansion draft um, during the modern era. So I think it'll be interesting to see what their strategy is. The last expansion team, Vegas in 2017, set a pretty high bar making the yeah. Stanley Cup finals in their first season. Um, so that's probably unrealistic just based on history since the last four expansion teams uh, made a total of one cup final throughout their history. And that was Nashville 20 years after they were formed. So mm-hmm. um, it usually takes time. So Vegas is probably not a good uh, baseline, but <laughs> they've obviously built a strong staff. And especially with Namita's experience with draft modeling, I wouldn't put anything past them. Yeah. And I like what she, she talked about the staff, how, you know, they have five people and a couple of them in some ways don't do any analytics. One's more of a back end systems person. One's a front end person. I, I think that's something, a trend we'll continue to see kind of across sports. And I think, you know, some teams have figured it out, but it's interesting that how important that was that they you know have someone right off the bat. And that makes everybody so much better. You know, as she said, she doesn't have to spend her time trying to develop a shiny app that would be okay, but not as good. And it just eat, would eat into so much time. So I, I think that's, maybe a little underutilized, generally speaking, across sports is having these people who can 
this is their specialty, whether it's to make things work even more efficiently on the back end, whether it's to make them prettier and easier to use for coaches, players, front office, whatever on the front end. I feel like that is, it's not a next frontier that's overstating it, but it's, it's a, the next step, I guess, as we know, these analytics are important to every team and figuring that out. And now it's figuring out, all right, how do we make it easier? How do we make it more accessible? Things along those lines. It, it, was, it was interesting to hear that to me uh, from her for a team that's just getting off the ground. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we talk a lot about how it's one thing to, to model these things and come up with these interesting conclusions. But if you can't communicate those well to yeah. people who actually make the decisions, that's, you know, you're not going to have a lot of success. Um, and I mean, to, to that point, it, it's, it can be hard to tell. What other what teams are doing across the board? Teams are often kind of opaque about what they have and what their capabilities are. Um, but I think that kind of specialization is good, and I think it's it's funny because um, the the Hurricanes, Carolina has a reputation mm-hmm. as a pioneer in analytics, and uh, Ron Francis was the GM there before, and he hired Eric mm-hmm. Polsky, who's kind of one of the leaders in hockey analytics, and they have a similar staff now where they have somebody doing the data engineering on the backside, somebody building sort of the front end stuff. So I thought that was interesting that parallel there. Yeah, yeah, that was good. I want to ask you about the player tracking stuff? Because you know, you're hockey guys. What kind of piques your interest once uh, we, that player tracking stuff gets more uh, cemented into how everything works on the hockey front? As she mentioned, it's going to take time for that to pay dividends um, for teams. Um, you know, we've we kind of seen this in the NFL with the NGS day, like you guys talked yeah. about with Major League Baseball with Statcast. Um, I mean, there's the low hanging fruit like creating nice play animations or doing things for the TV broadcast that happen fast. And I think that's great for like the wow factor for the general public, but mm-hmm. that's usually not the kind of things that teams are looking for. They want to be able to right. get some insight from the data, right? Model things or kind of spot things that they didn't know before or make other tasks they did before a lot easier just because of the data amount of data. So it's going to take time to do once they get their hands around it and kind of figure it out. Um, you know, the NBA has probably had player tracking data longer than any other pro sport. And they've you know been able to come up with, with some things, but it's still um, you know, that was only six or seven years they've had it. So it, it, yep. it takes time to make sense yeah. of it. And I got to ask you to weigh in on the great R versus Python conversation. Oh. I know you have a programming background. So what, what's your take on that? I can't believe you weighed in on that debate, man. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's dangerous territory. No, I, um, like I said, I, I have a programming background. So I generally have gravitated more towards Python if I'm doing mm-hmm. any kind of, you know, uh, machine learning or data, uh, data science kind of stuff. Um, and I, I think her, her point is probably true that that's probably I, I gravitate that way because it is more similar to other languages I'm, I'm used to. Um, yeah. I haven't spent a lot of time with R, so I don't know, um, you know, whether it is truly more readable for beginners. But my experience is certainly consistent with what she said, for sure. Yeah, mine too. Like, like I said, I have no programming background past SQL. And I've looked at code for both. And R makes a little more intuitive sense, a little SQL-ish and, and things along those lines. But yeah, I'm coming from a someone who has no real programming background. So yeah, I think it, it depends on who you are, what your use case is, all that fun stuff. Yeah, and I, I think it's great that there's you know multiple options available. I mean, they both yeah. have pretty good support on the open the open source side for what what they can do, what tools they have, all these different uh, ways to analyze data and whatever you're comfortable with. So having more options is always a good thing. Absolutely. All right, thanks, Andy. And thanks again to Namita for appearing on Expected Value with us. One note on something we talked about, underrepresented communities in sports analytics. Brendan Kent and the Measurables podcast set up a great event called Office Hours, in which over 100 current and former sports analytics professionals, including me, have volunteered to host Office Hours virtually for women and minorities interested in sports analytics. Anybody can sign up for those simply by going to measurablespod.com slash office hours. We'll have the link in our show notes. And check out the podcast wherever you get podcasts and on Twitter at MeasurablesPod. While you're on that favorite podcast platform, please subscribe, rate, and review this show. It helps us out. It's always appreciated. Follow us on Twitter at True Media Sports. And let us know if you have any feedback or guest ideas, either via Twitter or email at expectedvalue at truemedianetworks.com. For Andy Cox and everyone here at True Media, I'm Paul Carr. Thanks for listening to Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world. Stay safe, everyone. We'll be right back.